glad to be back in the pulpit today. We're going to be, just read one verse out of the, uh, the book of Acts in the New Testament. We'll read some more extended passages of Scripture, but I just wanted to start with this one. If this is your first time visiting with us today, we certainly are appreciative of you. And if you're returning from maybe summer vacation, we sure are glad you're here. And thank God for those who come every week. We're always glad everybody's in this place and everybody's welcome. We want to read a verse in chapter 13 of Acts. Chapter 13, verse number 22. This is going to be about David the king. It's a, it's a reference to an Old Testament verse where God calls David a man after his own heart. And then we'll elaborate on that as we go along. Chapter 13 of Acts, verse 22, And when he, God, had removed him, Saul, the previous king, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony. God's given a testimony about David. He said, and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. God says, David is a man after my own heart. And that's what it means, what I was saying just a few minutes ago about after we get saved, our primary goal is to love and worship Him. Now there's things like holiness and separation and avoiding temptation of sin that all enters into the equation. But if you avoid sin and don't love Him, you've fallen short. And so David loved God and he rose up time and again. Let's pray and then we'll get into the message. Father, we love you. Thank you for the example of King David and the scriptures which elaborate on his life. We pray that you'd bless us, help each of us this morning through the means of the Holy Spirit to identify with the scriptures that apply to us. And Lord, may we learn to love you and rise from the ashes when we fall once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (coughs) David (coughs) wrote many of the Psalms and he was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to do so. That's no small thing. David was anointed king, first by God uh, instructing uh, Samuel himself, the prophet of Israel, to anoint David king over Israel. Later on, when David, after Saul's death, David became king in Hebron, and the people there anointed him king in the southern part of Israel. Later on, he was anointed a third time, to be king by all of Israel over the whole nation. That's no small thing. He's regarded by most Jews as being the greatest king of all time in their land. And such wide acclamation by both God and the people he ruled over is a pretty big testimony that he indeed was a man who was after God's heart. But wait. Didn't David mess up, as I remember? Didn't he have some serious lapses during his life? Yeah, he had some big times. He had some peaks, and he had some valleys. A.W. Tozer, have you read A.W. Tozer a few times? Uh, He was a great Christian man, preacher, and writer, author. And uh, he said this. I want you to listen closely to A.W. Tozer. A man's true character is the average 
of his life, not the extremes. David reached the top when he slew Goliath and the bottom when he slew Uriah. In one instance, he went above his average. In the other, he went below it. The real David is found somewhere between the two. Isn't that true of you and me? Think about that. A man's true character is not found in the extremes of his life, but in the average of his life. We'll see this truth clearly illustrated in the life of David as we delve into it a little bit deeper this morning. He had some peaks and he had some valleys. And don't you and I? We're going to uncover some of the significance of embracing that average. Notice in the first place the peaks and valleys of David's life. Let's talk about him in particular. I think this will drive it home. David's life <coughs> was a, it was a tapestry woven by moments of triumph and failure. At the pinnacle, he stood victorious over the giant Goliath. Have we not told our children the story of David and Goliath a gazillion times? Little shepherd boy David... Let's read in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to read several verses here. 1 Samuel 17 verse 45. This is when David goes to the battlefront where his brothers are soldiers in Saul's army as they fight against the Philistine enemy. David sees the rest of the soldiers shaking in their boots. They're afraid to go out because of the giant Goliath. Nobody wants to face Goliath. But here's the little shepherd boy that shows up at the army camp and he says, wait a minute, is there not a cause? Somebody ought to do something. Somebody ought to take care of that loud mouth. Somebody ought to challenge the enemy. In verse 45 in 1 Samuel 17 it says, Then David said to the Philistine, this is the giant, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from the, thine head from thee, and I will give thee, I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine and David put, in his, put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. So here's a high point in the life of David. 
Here's when the whole army of Israel and the king himself are all standing back, allowing God to be blasphemed by the enemy. David said, it's about time somebody did something, and I, can, I don't know how much I can do, but I'm just going to trust the Lord. And he put his faith and his trust in God, and that's when, ladies and gentlemen, we have our greatest victory. Are you listening? When we put our trust, not in our sword, not in our shield, not in our spear, but in the Lord. David said, the battle is the Lord's. And that's the way he had a high point in his life. Is that not an admirable thing? How would you like to be equated with such a triumph as that? And yet, with that triumph in mind, we cannot ignore the low water mark of his life in the matter of Uriah and his wife Bathsheba. We saw the peak. Let's look at the low point. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 1. And again, an extended passage, so I think we need to read it all to get the full thrust of this. Israel is at war. King David has stayed behind. He has sent his soldiers to the battle. They've been gone a long time fighting this war. It says in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, verse number 1, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem, and it came to pass in an evening tide that David rose off of his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof... He saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and and one said, Is is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come to him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down to his house, David said to Uriah, Comest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst not thou go down to thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are encamped in the open fields. Then Shall I then go into mine house and to eat and drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul liveth? I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him and made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. 
And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Let Uriah uh, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah into a place that he knew where he knew that the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite died also. Do you understand what's just happened here? Here's the one who slew Goliath the giant. Here's the one who had great character. Now he is tempted by seeing a a nude woman on a rooftop and, and knowing that she was the wife of another man, he sent for her. And when she conceived and was with child, she let King David know. And her husband's been on the battlefield for a long time, so he would obviously know it's not his child when he returned home. So David sends to the captain, the general of the army, and uh, Joab, and tells him, send old Uriah home. And in his mind, he's conceiving, concocting this deception that I will, I will make it easy on Uriah so he can go down and sleep with his wife, and then he'll never know it's not his child. But Uriah has such integrity, such loyalty, that while he knows the other men are still sleeping out on the bare ground in battle, and the servants of the king are sleeping at the doorstep, While Uriah is there reporting to the king, he refuses to go to his own house and he lays down there and sleeps on the hard surface beside the king's servants. Even David tries to make him drunk so he'll go down to his house and sleep with his wife and that doesn't work. So David conceives in his mind, I'll just have him killed. So nobody will ever know about my sin And so he told Joab the general, send a note in Uriah's own hand, his own death sentence, to tell Joab to set Uriah right at the front of the battle, right on the front line in the hottest part of the battle, so everybody else will pull back and leave Uriah up there facing the enemy alone, and he'll surely be killed. And that did happen. David, the man after God's own heart, conspired to have Uriah murdered. And he was as guilty as if he had stuck a dagger in the heart of Uriah himself. When David faced Goliath, it was admirable. That was a high point. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then conspired to have her husband killed, That was the low point. Going above the average. When he went, when David went to battle Goliath, see if if your average, the average of your life, David, is right here. Boy, when you was that little shepherd boy and you had it in your heart to serve God, and you just wanted to love God and and do what would bring Him honor and glory, you went way above the average, David. Man, you went way above the average. You did things for God that no shepherd boy would ever dream about doing. You went way up here. 
But then, David, you dropped below that average when you had fornication and adultery and evil in your heart with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. You sunk way down here. Up here and down here. You know, there's times when we go above the average. Has there been that time, maybe, like I could say, there was a time, maybe even more than once, where temptation confronted me. And I trusted in the Lord, and I said, God, get me through this. Protect me. Don't let me fall into that temptation. And boy, God came through. I trusted Him. He brought me through. Have you ever had a time like that? Maybe there's a time when, when the Holy Spirit wanted you to witness to somebody about your Savior and, and you were scared, but you said, God, I'll do it. If, that's, if this is what you want me to do, I'm going to do it. And you witnessed and that soul got saved. And boy, you had a, a great triumph. Have you had highs like that in your life where, where you really, you just trusted God and boy, He brought you through. He worked in your behalf like He did for David when David slew the giant. But then there's going below the average as well. (coughs) When David stooped to commit adultery and have Uriah slain, he went way below the average. That serves as a reminder that even the strongest can fail. I don't care who you are. If King David, a man after God's own heart, if King David failed, what does that mean for you and me? What about the times where our thought life came to us and got out of hand and led us to do things that we shouldn't have done? And instead of having that victorious triumph, we sunk down because we gave in to those thoughts, we dwelt on those evil thoughts, and they got the best of us. What about that time when you, or maybe several times, where you let anger get the best of you? And man, you've had those experiences, those peak experiences where you had triumph and you had victory, but then you let anger get the best of you and you said things you shouldn't say, you did things you shouldn't have done, you held grudges that you shouldn't have held. And you did some things that maybe were detrimental for a long, long time. You dropped way below the average. Is there a one, a single one that that hasn't happened to? David, you messed up. You had some high points. But you dropped way below the average and sunk into those low points. So who is the true true David? Well, going back to the quote by Tozer, David, your true character is not that extreme of victory with Goliath, lest we be lifted up with pride. Our life is not defined solely by our low point, when we said, thought, and did those things we should not have done. 
Our life is somewhere in the middle. A summary, an average, somewhere between those two extremes. The true David, it's the average of his life. It's those everyday moments. It's those moments when David wrote those Psalms and he said, boy, I love to praise the Lord and I'm going to trust him night and day. I'm going to go to him seven times daily in prayer. I love the Lord. His, his life was continually going in that direction. But there's times when he did have peaks and times when he did have valleys. But throughout his life, if you average it out, maybe that's why God said, he's a man after mine own heart. You say, well, I've never had anything happen to me as low as what David did concerning Bathsheba and Uriah. Sin is just dirty. Sin is just evil. I'm not saying every sin is equal, but what I am saying is that God is not pleased with any sin in our life, so we shouldn't pat ourselves on the back too often about we didn't have the sin like somebody else had. All sin is not equal. There's some sins that's worse than others. And that's why the Bible says that, that some will be beaten with few stripes and some with many stripes. And so obviously God judges according to what we have thought and said and done. But nobody can pat him on the, on the self on the back and say, well, I don't have any dirty sin. Sin is dirty. All sin may not be equal, but all sin is evil. The whole fabric of David's life defines who he is. Not his high point, not his low point, but that average, that summary of his life. Embracing the average Christian life, that's what we as Christians must strive to understand and pursue. Embracing that average life. Nobody is a hundred percent hero all the time. Not even King David. And you're not either. And I'm not either. I've done some things in my life that's shameful. But God forgave me and restored me. I hope nobody judges my whole life based on those shameful things from my past. But I would also caution, don't put me or anybody else up on a pedestal saying, that's a hero, he don't sin. (laughs) We're humans, all of us. And we all have our high points and our low points, but there's an average. But here's the thrust of the message. Satan, the Bible says is the accuser of the brethren. And what Satan wants to do is either take your high point and say, boy, look what you did and get you all lifted up with pride. And then what comes after pride? A great fall? Destruction? So if he can't do it that way, then he'll get you, listen, he'll get you to focus on that low point. And Satan will say, look what a dirty dog you are. King David, you are nothing but the scum of the earth. You committed adultery and murder and you deserve to die. You can never do anything for God again. And he'll get you to focus on one of those two. 
usually, I think most often, it's the failures we've had in our life where Satan whispers and says, see what you did? You're finished. You shouldn't even show your face in a church house again. You ought not ever have the gall to get on your knees and talk to God again. You will never be accepted by the brethren. You'll never measure up to what you once were. You've hit the low point and you'll never rise again. And that's what Satan wants you to believe. And so the thrust of the message is this, that your life is not that low point, but your life is an average. John Mark, when he went to the mission field with with, uh, Paul and Barnabas, John Mark got to the mission field and and he turned into a scaredy cat or got homesick or something or got afraid. I don't know what happened to him, but John Mark turned back and he went home. He left the mission field. Left Paul and, Paul and uh, Barnabas on the mission field and he just left them. What a failure. And yet somewhere along the line, God lifted him back up and restored him and his life as an average, must have done pretty good because Paul, in the latter part of Paul's life, after years of Paul rejecting John Mark, in later years of Paul's life, he asked one of his servants to bring Mark with him, for he is profitable unto the ministry. You see, Mark's life was not defined by that low point. Was that a low point and was it awful? Sure. But he came back up to the average because you're not stuck at that low point. Peter, and who can forget? Peter saying, everybody else will deny you, Jesus, but not me. (laughs) And then he went and sat by the devil's fire while Jesus was being tried, when he would be crucified. Peter lied and cursed, denied the Lord. And boy, he was lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. And after the resurrection of the Lord, he asked the disciples, come and meet me at this certain place. And oh yes, bring Peter with you too. Why did he name Peter specifically? Because he knew Peter was stuck down here on this low point. Peter thought, I'm as bad as Judas. There'll never be a future for me, not in the service of the Lord. My life is finished, as far as God's concerned. Jesus said, Peter, I want you to come and meet with me. Peter preached some great sermons. Remember Pentecost? (laughs) 3,000 souls were saved, and Peter's the one who brought the sermon. Remember, legend has it that in the last days... Peter was crucified for his Lord, for standing up for Jesus. And legend has it that he was so humble about it that knowing he's going to be crucified, he requested that he be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same manner as the Lord. Here's a man whose life didn't get stuck on the low point. He came back up in his life as an average. Who could deny that Peter didn't do some great things? Was he a guy that put his foot in his mouth occasionally? Yep. Was he a man that was a little bit of a braggart? 
Yeah. Was he a man who was just a little bit quick on the trigger at times? Yeah. But all all said and done, I don't know about you, but I'd like to preach a sermon one day and see 3,000 people get saved. (laughs) Peter didn't get stuck on the low point. I know a preacher. He was on the mission field years and years ago. He's a friend of mine. He wasn't when he was on the mission field. I didn't know him then. But he went to the mission field and his family fell apart. His wife left him. Split the family up. He left the mission field. Boy, you talk about a low point. <laughs> He's lost his wife. He's lost his family. He can't survive on the mission field. He goes back home. A low point. He spent some time with the Lord and he said, well, Lord, I can't help what's happened. I can ask you to forgive me for my wrongs. But I don't want to be set on a shelf, Lord. I want to be used. The man went and dedicated his life to Christ. He'd been pastoring church, pastoring now for, I guess, 25 plus years. Still serving God. He didn't let the low point define him. You say, well, he shouldn't have done anything for God. Yeah, that's the way we are, but that's not the way God is. <laughs> People, the brethren might say, well, you dirty rat. David, you committed murder. You committed adultery. You're never going to be used again. <laughs> but I'm glad God forgives. Aren't you? John Wesley had tried to serve the Lord, but he sunk deeply into depression. He said this at one point. He said, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? Who, what is he that will deliver me from this evil heart of unbelief? He was a professing Christian. But in his heart, he knew he was not a believer. He said his testimony was this. He said, I went, I think it was about five this morning, and opened my New Testament on these words. There are given unto us exceeding and great and precious promises, even that ye should be partakers of the divine nature. Just as I went out, I opened it again to those words, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. In the afternoon, I was asked to go to St. Paul's. And the anthem was, Out of the deep have I called unto thee, O Lord, hear my voice. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. An assurance was given me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. You see, the life is not what you did before you got saved. 
the life is not your failures before or after you got saved. The life is an average. John Wesley went on to found a denomination, <laughs> preached to thousands to see them saved. He was used of God after he felt like he was worthless and undone. So what do we do? Well, reflect on that thought from A.W. Tozer. Our life is not defined by the extreme up there or the extreme down there. But your life is summarized as an average. It's taken all together, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And while none of us are perfect, I think the thrust of this ought to be that we never let the devil trick us into thinking that we can't do something for God. We can keep on going. Now this is not an excuse. Does God lift up and restore those who have fallen? Absolutely. But that's not an excuse to go out and tamper with sin. That's not an excuse to go wallow in the hog pen of evil. But I've said this a number of times and I still mean it today. As a pastor, I will warn against sin and the tragedy of sin and the heartache and judgment that will come through sin. But if I'll try to keep you from running off of the cliff. But if you do fall over the edge of the cliff, I'm going to run around to the bottom and try to catch you when you fall. If you messed up and you failed the Lord and you're ashamed of it, you haven't lived up to what a Christian should be. Maybe you've even thought about quitting church, quitting on prayer, quitting on the Bible, quitting on God. I want you to realize your life is an average of the whole. When I was in college for you students, <laughs> you'll identify with this. When I was in college, I tried to make good grades, but there was times when I was sending a family of kids to school, Christian school, working nights and going to school in the day and studying the wee hours of the morning. And there's times when I was worn out and didn't have time to read and study like I wanted to. I did the best I could under the circumstances. There's times when I went to class to take a test and I thought, this is it. I'm done for. <laughs> you ever done that? I, I just didn't grasp it. My mind was too numb. I couldn't absorb all of that information. And maybe that test didn't turn out too well. But I'm glad I had some other grades like attendance and faithfulness to be there and maybe some quizzes I'd passed along the way and, and some assignments that I'd been able to do. And when it's all averaged out, I still turned out with an acceptable grade. It wasn't way up here, but it wasn't way down here. It was the average. Your life is kind of that way. And your true character is somewhere between those two extremes. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we might lay aside any thought of turning back on you. Lord, I pray that our hearts, our hearts' contentment might be in agreeing with 
the Apostle Paul on saying, I've, I've fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Lord, help us not to be lifted up in pride with those times of victory. But Lord, let us not get stuck by being chained to those defeats that would have us to never serve you again. Lord, help us to live a life of holiness. Help us to learn, Lord, that it pays to serve Jesus and it pays every day. Lord, help us to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God that we might not fall into sin. But Lord, when we have fallen, help us not to give up and to wallow in that sin for the remainder of our days. Lord, I pray that we would get up, confess it, forsake it, trust God, and move on. Lord, I pray that there's some Christians in here that have been on the verge of just giving up, that they'd be on their knees today just saying, Lord, give me the strength and I'll go on. There might be someone who has never come to Christ and trusted Him as Savior. I pray that this would be the day when they do it.